Yeah, who's going to do what this time? I'll just throw all this out now since I have this knowledge and I can show it off. <laughs> These are the worst hunters and trackers in all of Bavaria or wherever the fuck they are. Dead. I like dead. Hello and welcome to Max and Jason Watch a Movie. I'm Max. And I'm Jason. And tonight we will be reviewing The Bride of Frankenstein. Starring Boris Karloff, Colin Clive, Valerie Hobson, Elsa Lanchester, Ernest Beisger, and E.E. E. Clive. Released in the year 1935. Once again, directed by James Whale. I have never seen this film before this week. That's amazing. I think that it is. I had not, I have heard about it. I've circled it for years. Uh, I've had people tell me, I've read, that it's the best of the Frankenstein films. That it's Whalen's masterpiece. That yes. uh, this film certainly, it, it garners praise wherever you go. It scores highly on Rotten Tomatoes at IMDb. I mean, everywhere you go, this film is the one that people talk about, maybe even more than the first one. Uh, I, I would agree. I, and in fact, I think a lot of uh, critics, uh, monster movie lovers, movie buffs, most people would say this is the best universal monster movie. Wow. Most people would say that. We'll get to our opinion later on, but, right. but this picks up shortly after the events of the first film is that right oh uh, right. not, not only not only shortly after the events but before the the closing events of frankenstein uh, when this film opens the 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 um the windmill is burning and we get a replay of uh, Dr. Frankenstein uh, being thrown off of the windmill and, um, to our eyes, dying. But then we get the villagers um, uh, helping him and, uh, you know, getting him home. You know, there's no there's no Baron Frankenstein this time. You know, uh, Henry's father is not in this film. Uh, yeah, the film be- uh, This film begins with the aftermath of the windmill fire. The fire's out and uh, the, the, the Burgermeister who is a different person, a different actor, uh, yeah. is is uh, dispersing the crowd and sending them home. Yes. Now, um, now is this before or after the Mary Shelley scene? I, I, I missed that, didn't I? The, the, the film begins on a dark and stormy night in 1820 yeah. uh, when, when uh, Mary Shelley and Lord Byron and, and her husband, Percy Shelley, are all together and, and uh, having a conversation about, you know, their, their literary lives and I believe it's Byron yes who who is who's just uh fascinated that this charming uh gentle young woman Mary Shelley could write this story that uh, of uh you know the greatest horror of this scientist creating this creature yeah. and Mary Shelley played by Elsa Lanchester in this scene yes. and she she tells her husband and Lord Byron that oh that wasn't the end of the story and that there was actually there was actually actually more to tell yeah and they they're they're seated by her and she so, so we kind of get the sense that mary shelley herself is uh completing the story of course this film creates the illusion that the first film actually was the story that mary shelley yes 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 uh, crafted now I, I i this is a this is a strange little scene i think but but i like it a lot because basically like you just said we're to get the sense that she's telling us the rest of the story yeah. but i like that that whale this is also <laughs> directed by whale as you said uh, the guy who directed the first one 
is is certainly hinting at that kind of romantic tension among all three of these people because they all sit very close together. They're very very intimate, Shelley and yeah. Shelley and, and Byron. And they're all enthralled by each other. And I kind of like the scene. And you know, I, I just I just kind of dig the scene. We don't get it for very long. We will get Elsa later, though. Yeah. Oh yes, 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 yes. Um, yeah. Apply the break for a second. I you're on to something there because actually, isn't that kind of the Henry Victor Elizabeth dynamic? It absolutely is. Yeah. It absolutely is. And uh, which I thought, which is, I wondered in the first film if he wasn't kind of trying to, since I, I assume he was like, look guys, fuck the novel, but I kind of want <laughs> Wales saying, I kind of want to have this like weird relationship that Byron and Mary and Percy had in the film somehow. I don't want the yeah. source material at all. But, <laughs> right, right. But in his weird way, isn't he sort of bringing some of the source material in? Because, correct me if I'm wrong, Jason of the of the two podcasters here talking, he's the only one who's read the Shelley novel, but I have seen Mary Shelley's Frankenstein directed by Kenneth Branagh and in that there is a bride created yes and does that happen in the novel yes and so here we have in two chapters weirdly you know he is Whale is trying to bring some of those elements from the novel into an hour an hour and 20 minutes of screen time there is there is no doubt about that actually I would argue there are large chunks of this movie that absolutely are in the novel yeah Uh, just like in the first one and then there's large chunks that are not it's a it's a very interesting hodgepodge of of shelly material kind of mixed around and and reformatted yeah. Okay. Because, uh, like, for example, in the novel, well, yeah, I'll just throw all this out now since I have this knowledge and I can show it off. Um, in the novel, uh, the creature finds Frankenstein and demands him to make a mate. Yeah. And, um, and you know, and, and 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 he threatens him. And if you don't, I will, you know, I will, I will make your life hell. I will, I will pursue you until you curse the day of your birth. And uh, Frankenstein begins to create a mate, but he changes his mind. Uh, he, he kind of, you know you know what if they can reproduce I, I can't remember if he if he thinks that but he kind of has a moral doubt that we both agreed for listeners who listen to our Frankenstein podcast that Henry Frankenstein in the film has no moral compass whatsoever in the novel Victor Victor cannot Victor wants it all to go away but but he can't he can't he can't fully do it so he decides not to create the bride so, so he rips her up like he doesn't finish the job if I remember right okay and the creature then says well, I will now, I will pursue you until you curse the day of your birth. And then he visits him on his wedding night mm-hmm. and in the novel kills Elizabeth, and which the, we saw, the, which yeah. we saw in the first film. Yeah, yeah. But he doesn't, but he doesn't kill Elizabeth. No. So and it's all present, but yeah. just, yeah. In the novel, does he create Elizabeth? Does he do an Elizabeth bride? What do you mean? Um, does, he, does he does he reanimate Elizabeth in the novel? No. Okay. Um, I can't, he, that happens in the Brana novel though, doesn't it? In the movie? I, yeah, I've not seen the movie. Oh, you have um, I think that's an interesting idea because, um, but that, but that would be a different spin. Yeah. Uh, in Shelley's novel, Once Elizabeth's Dead, Frankenstein then hunts the creature to the ends of the earth gotcha uh, and fails okay because i mean i'm digressing here you can cut all this out but <laughs> the novel begins in the frozen like the north pole and yeah, there's yeah. a ship and it's caught in the ice and uh and it starts off with the journal of the sailor and then one day he sees this guy coming across the ice and it's frankenstein you got a beard and everything and he's near death and he he brings him onto the ship and he nurses him back to health and then frankenstein tells him the whole story yeah and that he he, he chased the creature to the North Pole or the South Pole, wherever they are. Yeah. And then Frankenstein dies. And 
Um, and then the, the I think the way the novel ends, the creature shows up. Yeah. This is why I, I haven't read the novel in well over a decade, but and only once. But this is why I remember it. The creature shows up and and, and can talk. Yeah. And and he um, he talks to the sailor and he's like, well, you know, he created me, and um, you know, we. I can't remember all the things the creature says, but he's like, you know, it's only just that we die together yeah. and he's dead. And then the, and then the creature takes the body and goes out on the ice and then like creates a funeral pyre okay. in which they, in which he is burned up with the body of his creator. Okay. And that's how the novel ends. They do extract a lot of elements from the novel. Yes, they do. Yes, and they so, do. So in this film, Mary Shelley and, and uh, we are listening to Mary Shelley with Percy and Lord Byron. And, uh, and it's, and it opens, as you said, back in almost at the beginning of the first film, a recap basically of what happened. The ending of the first film. Yeah. With new actors. With a lot of, except for Colin Clive, I yeah. don't think anybody came back. And well, Boris Karloff. Yeah. yeah. And so it's in that scene that we see, is that the scene that we see that the creature's alive? We find the creature, well, uh, well. <laughs> oh my God. Hold on here. <laughs> okay. I just... <laughs> Uh, sorry, I've had a lot of whiskey tonight. This is our second uh, recording of the evening. And so we're at the destruction of the the lab slash windmill slash dungeon. And the town is there. We get our first comedic element of the film. The Inside from me here. Yeah, yeah. The actress over Acticus Anne. And <laughs> Jason did not exaggerate her woo hoo hoo of joy um the town's happy that that the monster's dead but uh overacticus ann is is happier than anyone should should be they've looked around they haven't found the, the creature almost everybody leaves except for except for the father right of the of the dead girl of maria played by a different actor played by a different actor and and his his wife who i didn't think really existed in the first book yeah the, the first movie i thought he was a single father because she was she was by herself. That was the thing. The mom wasn't around. In my mind, I had crafted this whole narrative that that uh, you know he was a he was a single dad taking care of the girl. Mom probably died at childbirth, and he's just been grinding it out. But is an incredibly happy guy because he's you know he's got a great kid and everything's great yeah. until everything yeah. get, it's going to get shittier for Papa here. But they stay behind, and he still wants to look for the creature, right? Right. And uh, and he finds it. He does well uh, in a pretty good set uh, because the. Uh, um, the the uh, windmill's gone, but there's kind of this basement, I you know, kind of foundation. Uh, I think Hans is his name. Yeah. Uh, little Maria's father uh, uh, falls down into into kind of the, this well, and the creature is down there. Like there's like the, there's a body of water, and um, and the creature is still alive, although uh, burned. Like yep. they did a good job to make him look like that he'd been burned a little bit. Well, I thought the, uh, I thought the makeup effects of on Boris Karloff, which were great in the first film, I thought they had improved a lot in this film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He looks he looks great, and uh, he kills uh, Hans. Yeah, he, he drowns him. Yeah. Uh, so we do get a pretty harrowing oh, yeah. murder scene right out of the like right when the movie begins because he 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 just plunges him into the you know under and and then above uh, where poor Hans has fallen into the well and then to his death his wife is up there going oh Hans what am I going to do if something happens to you oh what what, what what will become of me the creature has an answer <laughs> the creature starts to come up and she doesn't notice that it's the creature and she reaches her hand and she helps him up and when she turns around and sees that it's the creature she does the scream yeah. and and the creature immediately murders her too he just throws her down the well we don't know if she dies but the way he ragdolls her we 
assume, you know, she doesn't look exactly durable. Uh, and, and the creature, pretty much the creature equals his body count from the first film in the space of like two minutes. Exactly. It really does. Yeah. I mean, this film certainly follows the, uh, the, the scream rules of sequels. More death, more violent death. But yes, that, happened, yes. that happens several times. This film justifies that rule. It does. It does. It absolutely does. Yeah. We've got two deaths right away. And I don't quite remember exactly what happens here next, but I think we get, we cut to Henry and his wife, Elizabeth, right? Uh, the, 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 uh, um, Elizabeth two, the new Elizabeth. Oh, and by the way, I, I, uh, I, I did read that, uh, it was a May Clark who played Elizabeth in the first film was sick. Oh. And, and that's the reason why she didn't come back. Yeah, I thought she was great in the, I thought she was fine. I, I, I like this May quite a lot. I, I'm sorry. I like this Elizabeth quite a lot too, but, uh, yeah, Valerie Hobson plays okay. this Elizabeth. I don't know if I disagree with you. I don't like this Elizabeth as well. Okay. Okay. Um, I, I actually felt like that May Clark and a lot of it could in the first film, a lot of, uh, it could be a lot of what you and I have talked about in the previous podcast that a lot of what they did with Elizabeth and Victor and just the uses of the close-ups and just kind of the depiction of Elizabeth's motivation in the first film. I felt that she was a little more of a complete character. Mm -hmm. And I think Valerie Hobson as Elizabeth in this film is pretty much just, just kind of fawning over Henry and worrying about Henry all the time, which Elizabeth did that in the first film, but that wasn't all she did. I actually am not real sure I like Valerie Hobson in this movie. Well, I, I, it was I, jarring to me. I'm not going to blame her for that. I didn't mind her much, but I'm not going to blame her for the character because it's not her fault. It's Whale's fault. Okay. Yeah. You know, I mean, like, I, I, I liked her well enough in this film. She is a, a bit more histrionic, I think. Yes. She, there's a moment where she, like, in this film, Elizabeth, like, actually has a hysterical fit. Hysteria, of course, was when you would you would laugh, but as, like, a psychotic break. Right, right, right. And she does that, and I was like, oh, I've never seen hysteria actually depicted in a film, but there it was. But I don't I don't really blame the actress for that. I, You know, I, she's doing what the director wants to do, and if he didn't like it, redo it, right? You no, know? I mean, I, I, I would agree with that. But I think Whale dropped the ball a little bit oh, yeah. in this film in ways that in the first film he did because uh, I I really I really like Elizabeth in the first film. I think that um, she's almost a modern character. Yeah. And to me, this is more 1930s. Oh, Henry. Uh, you know, just you know, just uh, yeah. Histrionic's a very good word. I, yeah. And so so she's she's a bit more grating in, than the Elizabeth of the first film. But we see that Henry's quite happy. He's given up the life of a of a, of a godless. Uh, well, not not godless, but a scientist just wanting to become God, you know? Right, He's right. giving it all up. He doesn't do that anymore. Mm, I don't like that anymore. That's what he says. All, no, yeah. <laughs> I'm retired. <laughs> no, he doesn't say that either. Um, they took my badge. No, that doesn't happen either. But, but he's given that up. And uh, nobody knows that he created the creature, you know? Right. Um, well, that's not true. But we'll get to that in a bit. But we see, well, there's a juxtaposition. The creature's still alive. And Henry doesn't give a shit. And is happy. And he's moved on. And then we go back to the creature. And he's in the woods. And he sees a woman with a sheep. This is that moment where I was, I referenced in the earlier podcast where we talk about him throwing the, the little girl into the water and she drowned. He sees a, a, a nice lady with the sheep. She sees a freaking monster and screams and falls into this body of water. And the, and this time the creature realizes that she's in real danger and runs and saves her. The creature yeah, saves yeah. this woman. And of course she freaks out 
when she wakes up and uh and he's not he's not too mad about that but a couple of hunters are like oh my god this is the creature he's still alive and they take a shot at him and they hit him and then he runs off but but the creature so in the span of 10 minutes the creatures killed two people saved one still you know uh, the the scorecard isn't good yet but we're we're hoping it gets better anyway take it away yeah um so um i believe at this point doesn't uh henry get a visit from an old acquaintance or mentor of his i don't know if the guy's a mentor i know that they know each other but this is the i think jason and i are going to have a heterodox opinion about this film but this character dr pretorius is one of the more in, one of the things that the film does really well yeah, i agree it's ernest Thies- ernest theisger is a great villain he is he yeah. is a guy who has who's not been doing what what frankenstein did in the first film he's he's on kind of a tangential path they're both about creating life he is he has figured out a way to create these little homunculi of life he's created living beings that are miniaturized right but they they seem to have uh all of the the kinds of the mental life that you would want but they're they're from scratch he hasn't like brought sperm and egg together we don't know how he it sounds almost like you know he's is this not what he's done but this is basically uh, i think a good analogy taking clay and molded it into a living being right yeah well he does say i grew them like yeah. Yeah, he says i grew them like a, like in a culture almost yeah he doesn't reveal much about his process <laughs> it's good probably for the viewer and posterity but <laughs> but 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 uh frankenstein doesn't want to hear it but Pretorius is having none of it. He says, let me show you what I've done. Let me show you what I've done and see if I can entice you. And he pulls out these little jars of living beings that are like, you know, six inch Barbie doll size, right? right. This is a good effect. I don't know if it's it, a good it, it looks really good. So the, it, it is really, you know, actors that have somehow been uh, composited into this into this film to look like they're in jars. He's recreated a Henry V, I think, or Henry VIII. Henry VIII, yeah. He, he's, he's created a ballerina. He's created a queen. An archbishop. An archbishop. And he's a priest. Pretorius is a priest, I think. Does he say that? I don't know, but he's got the collar. He does. Uh, well, you know, because he does say that he gave up on science and he turned to philosophy. And you kind of get the sense that he's kind of a metaphysics. He's in. He's into metaphysics and kind of the, you know, the kind of, he, he, he's gone into the occult. Yes. Which is not something that Henry did. No, no. Yeah. Uh, Henry was certainly a man of science and, and, uh, and this guy is something else. Pretorius is something something else uh but 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 what i want to say about these effects is even though i don't quite think that they it's not the direction i would have gone the effects are amazing of these people in the jars uh, they're a little too cute i think for this film but they are effective effects henry's intrigued but he does pull back at the end he's like i don't want to do this i don't want to help you i don't want to help you but think henry think henry together what we could do i need the size that you achieved with my i mean he's basically saying with my growth of life from culture and your ability to impart real life with with your cosmic rays or whatever, we can do great things. We need, hear me out, Henry, hear me out. We need to make a bride for your monster that kills people. And Henry wants, Henry wants nothing to do with it. He thinks that the creature's dead anyway, you know, but, but Pretorius is, is not a guy who's likely to take no for an answer. He is a really delightful villain. Yes. And, and actually uh, the scenes you're describing, you know, a lot of this, you know, there's a lot of really wonderful close-ups that are kind of in shadow that really um, help enhance uh 
Theisger's performance here. Well, um, let, let me, let me uh, start praising the visuals of this film right now. This film understands light and shadow. It uses light and shadow the way the best black and white photographers do. Um, yes. I think, of, of course, we've got the great universal visual kind of aesthetic of the horror film. But then there's just this, this kind of stark, dramatic light and shadow lighting. I mean, like there's there's darkness or there's light in this film and it's really it's really well done and I and and this is it's especially true in these scenes with Pretorius but it's elsewhere as well just the art direction uh, of Bride of Frankenstein is it is really breathtaking and beautiful I, I I would agree I agree with your praises and and because of that I want to stop a moment and I want to catalog some of the things that we've talked about so far that don't work uh, and 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 I want to do that because I don't think it'll affect the verdict necessarily but uh, we've already talked about some of them. Um, I first saw this movie, I'll kind of back up because we usually do this before we start talking about the film, but I first saw this in high school, just as I saw many of the other Universal uh, films. And when I first saw it, I was very aware that people said that this was better. This was better than the original. Mm -hmm. And so I went into this movie, the first time I watched it with great expectation that this was going to be, that this was just going to knock my socks off. But already, uh, in, in just as far as we've gotten in this film, there are some elements that are questionable. Oh, and and, and are, are very jarring. Uh, we talked about the first one. Uh, the comic relief in Frankenstein is very appropriate and and genuinely funny. Yes, the lady uh, who is the comic relief in this movie. I think she, I think she's a maid of some. Well, she's, well, she's, we, she's revealed to be a maid later on, but at the moment she's just some some kind of uh, gadfly. You know, uh, they gossip. they they give her so much, way too much dialogue. Yes, and they they try to milk her scenes for comic effect. She's not funny. And it really... It's so contrived. It is so contrived. It is. And it messes... It messes with the mood of the film. Absolutely. It is... It, it that, that That is not good. I it, mentioned a little... I think because her character doesn't... One of the things about the Baron, who's the father of Frankenstein in the first film, the comedy of his of his character comes from very natural traits that that seem very true to this older gentleman who is used to getting his way, who is yep. used to being able to say whatever he wants, and and you know he's your crazy uncle, but with tons of money, who yeah. won't get in trouble for saying what he thinks a lot of the time. He's a, he's a funny guy because of that. It's very true to his character. She seems like somebody who, in the writers' room, we were like they were like oh what funny thing are we gonna have her say her, she doesn't have a character she has lines yeah. you know yeah. and it like you say it jars you out of the scenes every time and she's never not trying to get a laugh in this movie never right and and and, and she unfortunately is a fairly constant presence in the film she 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 comes back and i think that that's a problem for the film uh i i did mention um elizabeth you know i mean i i'm i'm not totally happy with with the cast changes yeah um but also i am in complete agreement with you about the um uh, the scene with where Dr. Pretorius shows the little beings that he created and has in the glass jars, that the effect is is mind-blowingly good. Yeah. But that's just dumb. I, I, I actually think that, that though the scene looks good, I actually think that there's something that's just a little too cute about it. Absolutely. That he's got these these little creatures who, who um, one of the creatures he's created um, is a bit of a prude and wants to keep the king and the queen apart. And so he's an archbishop. And, and 
and it's all just a little too cute and it kind of it kind of messes with the oh. themes and, and and there's a scene of quote-unquote comedy where henry escapes his jar and tries to get to the queen and it's almost one of those moments we, you and i have talked a lot about john ford over the years it's a moment where the comedy not only doesn't work but it jars you out of the it, emotion of the scene so you get the cuteness it, it, it looks good it looks good it looks great but yeah. as you said it's silly and it looks too cute you go back and forth from this scene that should have been hannibal lecter good right yeah. it should have been anthony yeah. Hopkins behind the glass because it is that when pretorius is in the scene but then when he's interacting with his little you know uh you know human minarets or whatever it's like it throws you right out of the film because we go from these stark you know lighting close-ups and pretorius just being menacing and scary and and callous in the way somebody like this would be too cutesy and, yeah. and cutesy comedy and i'm just like eh, i didn't like it i agree with you keep going you're you're hitting yeah it. and and then um the, the other thing that i would point out even at this point and and the thing is i mean i'm right now i'm kind of i'm kind of enumerating these things about the film that bothered me 30 years ago they they still they still bother me today yeah uh another uh but there are many things about this film that that, that i'll be able to praise as well but I, but I, but i kind of i kind of want to lay these markers down mm -hmm. you know right here while we can in our previous podcast i praised specifically colin clive as turning in a great performance as henry frankenstein i don't think he's as good in this movie i think that he's just kind of mailing in the same performance that he did in the previous film and he's he's a little bored with it i think oh i agree i agree no i think those are all valid observations um we'll even come back to that later on when he gives his iconic catchphrase it's just like okay well this will get me five bucks it's alive she's alive yeah and, yeah right yeah and just sort of like okay i can tell you came back to say that and make a and, and make a paycheck you know but pretorius does his cute show and henry kind of rejects it but but pretorius is gonna lean on him harder as time goes on just to revisit what i just said about frankenstein for just a second and colin clive specifically is that there's no doubt that frankenstein just as in the previous film is kind of is kind of kind of oscillating between these two oh you know i want to be god oh no wait no that's immoral i want to be with elizabeth but he never seems driven no like henry frankenstein never seems driven in this movie i mean it's almost like you know um pretorius will tempt him and he'll be like oh yes and, he'll, and you know and but it, it, it never seems realistic well the, I, I don't know if i completely agree with that there's a moment where i thought i liked that i well I, maybe what i mean to say is i like the idea because there are times where the character of henry is intrigued by pretorius you know yeah because i know there's a moment where i can't i think it's like midway through the film where pretorius is talking about like some of the breakthroughs he's made henry comes in and is like oh tell me you know oh really yeah really okay yeah yeah, yeah. it's fascinating and there is a moment where i thought he did a good job of almost giving in to those old obsessions yeah you know where you can see them bubbling a little bit over the surface his performance is colin colin clive's performance is much much more media it is mediocre actually i think in this film yeah. but there are moments where you see the old obsession and, and and i think that those those sort of work a director with more focus might have drawn those out a little more i i, I want to say that but i thought there were a couple moments 
moments where I thought, oh yeah, there's there's the old guy, and he you can tell he doesn't want to go back. At this point in his life, he does the character does seem to recognize that this is a dangerous path. Right. But Pretorius eventually does convince him, right? Eventually he does, but I mean, first uh, I, we have to return to, to the creature because the creature, you know, after the incident with the the uh, the girl that he that, that he rescues, I mean, uh, he, he is shot, he is captured, he's chained up, um, um, and escapes uh, rather quickly. Well, yeah, like almost. So they truss him up and they bring him to the jail, and they're all like, "Well, okay, we got him. Lock him up. We'll execute him later, or something like that." But you're right. He once he's kind of recovered and got his wits about him again, he breaks out immediately. Yeah, he breaks out, and I think, and they, and the, he, and he does frighten people. Oh, I yeah. mean, he does. Yeah, uh, and in fact, I think he kills somebody before he leaves the village i think doesn't he kill one of the guards in the in the yeah the guy, yeah the guy's trying to get his gun ready and then frankenstein's free before the guy can can get uh you know shots on him and then and then he goes out into the woods and um he hears the sounds of beautiful music yes um ave maria i believe yeah uh, which by the way is kind of an, is- an interesting choice ave maria okay. the little girl was named maria oh, right 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 i mean i mean you know it's supposed to be a hymn to Mary, the Virgin Mary, but Ave Maria. So I, you know, uh, he he encounters a um, a blind man who cannot see him. Yep. And cannot see how. Uh, I, I this is in the book, by the way. Oh, is it? To uh, it, it's a little bit different. Uh, in the book, he he lives outside for a while and listens to uh, like this old man reading to his family. Yep. And that's how and that's how he learns how to speak. Okay. And that's how he learns literature and stuff like that. Uh, I I can't remember any other details, but uh, he he comes in and just and uh and but but the the blind man is just you know oh you cannot speak and i cannot see and he begins befriending him yeah. in a very genuine way and the creature is immediately uh receptive to it oh yeah which yeah. is not a surprise i mean any of us that if you watch the the series up to this point you're not surprised no 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 yeah. the, the, the old man uh he's i get the sense he's he's a bit of a hermit but he definitely wants friendship but but people have shunned him for whatever reason or he's shunned them he is delighted the old man who's playing the 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 horn is delighted to have a new person around oh yeah. look, Brent, come on in and he's, he's he's delighted by the creature the creature's delighted by him and he shows the the creature some of the first kindness he's seen in a long time ever except yeah. for the few moments with maria yeah um and uh he teaches the guy about again another moment that i thought could not have been in any of the movies uh the the Cigars, um, but he introduces the the creature to to cigars, which I thought was kind of cute. And and isn't it shocking how that works? Oh yeah, is that like that could have been really dumb. Oh, it could have been. You know, yeah. and, and it skirts the line. But uh, Mel Brooks would later go on to show how it could have been really funny. <laughs> But but because of that movie, because of Young Frankenstein, I I thought that there's I thought that, that was just a gag that the, the cigar stuff wouldn't have been in the film. But but anyway, the the uh, the old man, the blind man, teaches him how to smoke cigars, teaches him how to be a little more comfortable around fire. Um, teaches him words. Yeah, it teaches him words. And because yeah, because this is the first time the creature speaks in this movie, right? Yeah, friend. Yeah, yeah, friend, friend. And yeah. uh, but I mean, so there's a lot of cool, poignant little things happening here in the scene. And this is probably probably the emotional heart of the film. Yes. But but the old man 
man is as affected by this as the creature, which is why the scene works. Because the old man has clearly been craving a friend. Oh, you know, you say you know, the scene works. This scene is kind of cinema. Uh, uh, is kind of uh, cinematic magic. Like yeah. this. This is really a great. All of this, and um, so I, I got to tell you, the first time I ever saw this, when I saw that they were going to have the creature speak, I almost like cr- cringed in expectation yeah. that it would that it would not work. Yeah. And I was so delighted that Karloff plays this. By the way, he did not want the creature to speak. Oh, really? Yeah. He thought it was he, he thought it was a mistake. But um, he he does so good. Like like um, Karloff, even though he didn't want to do that. Oh yeah. yeah. He definitely is. He actually brings his performance to an to, to another level in this absolutely, movie. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. So it works. Um, of course, all of this is doomed to tragedy because of the nature of the film. Some people check in on the old man looking for the creature because they know that the creature's been around. By the way, not just some people. It's an uncredited John Carradine. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. So they come in and they're like, "Hey, old man, have you seen anybody?" <laughs> you can't see anybody. We just want to make sure you're okay. And, uh, and then they see the creature and they're like, "Oh my god!" And uh, they have a little fight with the creature the old man tries to stop them but it's you know they can't these things are you know this is fate by this point you know and isn't it cool how in that moment the way Karloff plays it when they come in the creature knows he knows that this is not good yeah yeah well, by that yeah. point, he's kind of probably come to understand himself a little better. He's under he understands the world a little better, and you know he's alarmed because his his days of you know happiness are about to end for a while, right? Right, right. And, um, so he's he looks very fearful in that moment. But they separate him from his only friend, and he's on the run again. He gets hurt again, I think. And this yeah, is and what they, brings it. This and is, the hunter and the hunters burn down the uh, the old man's cabin. That was a bit of a overkill on their part. You know, once the creatures left, it was probably not necessary, but. Or no, he was still inside when they threw the torches in, weren't they? Wasn't he? Yeah, and and uh, I mean, I don't, he doesn't die. No, but, no, no. I mean, you know, but certainly his life was turned upside down, and yeah. you know, neither one of them were hurting anybody. No, you know? no, no. It, it, it's kind of it's a heartbreaking. It is. Movie. It is. Yeah. And, and but anyway, he has he's on the run again and injured, and uh, this is sort of what brings him in contact with Pretorius, isn't it? Yeah, uh, because Pretorius is having I don't know coffee in a crypt. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Mertorius is not a good guy, um, <laughs> but he because the, the creature is kind of I think trying to find a place to hide. Yeah, and and uh, Pretorius is looking for bodies. He's kind of yes. doing what Frankenstein did, and he has he has two servants. One oh, of them. This reminds me of Frankenstein is on the, the creature. I'm sorry, the, I do it. I do it too. I always call the creature Frankenstein. The creature is running from the site of the latest troubles into the graveyard, and there's a I think there's a statue of an angel or Mary or something over a grave, and the creature. Yeah. Knocks it over. Yeah, gets in the grave, which leads to wherever he goes next. It, it actually leads to an underground system of of tunnels. But I just thought we're back in this weird fucking graveyard. <laughs> Know, has like statues with skull faces and uh, grim reapers and sides and and I, I thought this was pretty strange like because he knocks that statue over right right and goes in under the ground and I thought that these people were gonna stop and notice this 
huge clue of the recently knocked over <laughs> statue, but these are the worst hunters and trackers in all of Bavaria or wherever the fuck they are. Yep. He's right past that grave. And that's when, when the burned the burned creature finds Pretorius hunting around for graves. And Pretorius isn't scared of the creature at all. Right. The creature has certainly learned that you he needs to approach people who aren't scared of him. Yeah. And then, then the, the next plot hatches. Through this, I get the sense that a new plot hatches for Pretorius and he finds a way to lever Frankenstein into helping him. Yeah, by 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 employing the creature. Yes. Because be the creature, because as we learn in this film, and as you pointed out in the first film, the creature is desperate for friendship. Yes. Um, uh, that's the one thing that he, that, that he's always wanted. He now sees that there's this opportunity where someone can be created who will not be afraid of him. Yeah. Because they'll be like him. Yes. Dead. I like dead. The <laughs> Hate living. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And Pretorius says something like, yes. The doctor uh, decides he's going to use Frankenstein, uh, the, the Frankenstein's monster, to be his muscle to get yeah. Henry to help him out. And so he goes back to Henry and he's like, hey, you need to help me out. Uh, I, I know what the creature is or something like this. Henry's like, I won't do it. I will never say it's alive again. And Henry and, and Dr. Pretorius says, oh, well, maybe not. And the creature kidnaps Elizabeth. Yes. And uh, absconds with her. And that's going to be the lever that gets Henry to work on the project. Yeah. And he's he's resistant a bit, but he does, he does start to embrace it a little bit towards the end. He starts showing the old Colin Clive excitement. Yes. But it, it did take a while to get that. But Pretorius and the creature, you know, say, well, we're going to make a bride for him. And I think the, which the creature, the creature's kind of in charge, actually. Yes, yes. At this point. I mean, I, I don't think Pretorius really notices it because he's playing the creature. But I mean, the creature's agenda is actually uh, um, is actually leading the way. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and Pretorius is curious about this. I, that, I don't think they ever really explain why Pretorius wants to make a bride for the creature, right? Right. He's just evil, and I think he wants to see what will happen. Yeah, yeah. You know, he doesn't care about his little homunculi, which seem like perfectly living, sentient beings. He doesn't care about... Oh, it, it seems far more impressive than what Henry did. <laughs> yes, indeed, indeed. Absolutely. I don't know why he needs Henry at all, but... <laughs> but maybe he he realized well these are far too cute i want evil and so they get henry working and he's not henry does not work well for them he bitches and moans and oh leave me alone i don't want to do it you know let me be and uh and they 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 threaten elizabeth they make her scream a little bit or whatever and they they kind of get henry back in action they steal some bones from the graveyard they get some other bits of women right yep they get uh fresh yes Yes, because well, I mean, what happens is is um, um, Henry kind of says that that you know that, that he needs fresh material, but you know that it needs to be dead. I mean, Henry is not interested in anybody dying, but uh, Carl, who looks suspiciously like Fritz from the first movie, yeah, yeah, because played by Dwight Fry again, mm -hmm. uh, but he works for Pretorius. Uh, Carl goes out, and um, we we kind of see him kind of laying in wait for a young woman who's kind of walking home at night and, and we see him kind of approach her and what's really implied is that he kills her yeah and 
and that uh, the material that Frankenstein gets, which he praises, oh, yeah, this, like it's, it's amazing. How, how did you get this? Somebody was killed for this. Yes, absolutely. No, it is kind of horrifying. What 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 Frankenstein had said was you need to you need to find somebody who's freshly buried. You need to find yeah, somebody yeah. who's who's just been died or who's over at the university who's just died. Right. And he didn't realize how just died he was going to get. But so then he he incorporates this uh, this into his creation, and they they get it set up, and then they run it through one of the one of uh, another one of the great visual the stunning visual sequences in the film where they've got all the tesla coils going they've got all the electrical bits going and they're doing all these like crazy close-ups and the shadows are moving from in different angles around all of their faces as the as the life-giving rays are piped into the homunculus slash fresh corpse that pretorius and and frankenstein have created and we get i mean we get some great visuals here of, of their faces as they're as both of them are obsessively now this is this is this is Henry back a little bit watching this yeah. his, his old obsessions have have you know fired and I thought this was all really well done and of course uh, they lower her I think they, they they do send her up like they did in the first film don't they you know um no what? they they bring down a huge coil from the ceiling well that's right that's right so then she she starts to twitch yeah and then we get the the least uh enthusiastic utterance of a catchphrase ever in the first film it was it's a lie yeah. And in the and in, in in Bride of Frankenstein, it's it's alive. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's alive, you know. It's <laughs> It's living, I should say. Uh, but no, I, I, I'm under. I'm. Uh, I'm. I'm not giving him quite the credit he deserves. But it's not a great delivery. No. Uh, I. I. Um. I don't want to criticize Colin Clive for that because I think maybe he knew I've already done this. Yeah. Oh no. No. I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure he's trying to do something fresh with it. Um. And I'm not blaming him for it necessarily. But again, you know, I think I. I want to blame Whale a bit for this. The director for the, for the lukewarmness of it, or the you know, just it was uninspired. So then we see the the, the new. Creature the bride she's all wrapped up in in bandages like a mummy right yeah and she 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 raises her arms like like Karloff and then she kind of is exhausted and these are all kinds of nice scenes um her coming to life and then they start to they don't show us taking all the bandages off because that wouldn't be cinematically very interesting you know right, right. they start it and then they cut to her revealed yeah and it's a really stunning design you guys have if you guys haven't seen it and you don't know it google bride of Frankenstein and you'll see all these images but she's all in white like a bride I suppose right. she has this crazy hair with these like gray uh, stripes going up it like her hair is like up almost like a beehive but not quite yeah. as obnoxious as a beehive you know the bride of Frankenstein is a stunning design yeah well and and visually you know like Karloff people who haven't even seen the film probably will know what you're talking about just through cultural osmosis I mean oh, I, I, I'm, I'm sure that that's right and she is interacting she's having cool interactions but the film whale really loved this actress or this design or this concept because he lingers on her from several different yes. angles and we see her we see her scars we see her looking around this way and that way and each image is pretty glorious you know this might have been a, a very good directorial decision by james whale to have her she kind of looks around like an animal or a cat yes yes like, yeah and she she's she sees pretorius and she sees Henry and she moves towards Henry first, right? Yeah, yeah. And 
and she kind of is un. She starts off pretty well, but then she kind of fatigues a little bit, and she falls back. It's almost like a dance. It's it's a very well choreographed bit, and uh, but they're trying to get. They're trying to help her through this this early phase of of coming to life, right? Right. As this is happening, sadly for everybody, or or not, depending on what you want to happen here, the creature sees what that that his bride has come to life. He enters the scene, and they hit it off, and it's happily ever after. <laughs> no, he he. This is a great moment for the creature. I've found my mate. I have a companion. I have a friend forever. He, he he makes his way to her, and she sees him. And her reaction is not what he was hoping for. Hey, uh, in terms of audio work, yes. one of the best screams in movie history. It it's is blood curdling. It is. It is. And she screams, and she runs to Henry. Yeah. And the creature try creature the 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 monster the Carlo character tries to get to her and henry is trying to keep her safe and that's what that's what i got out of it he's trying I did to too. Yeah. he's protecting her from the because because karloff the the karloff creature the the monster he created well i guess he created both of them is getting more and more frustrated and he's trying to grab her and that doesn't always work very well <laughs> you know sometimes he kills people when he does that and he's trying to keep her safe and she is retreating to henry every time she never goes to pretorius right and uh and i can't remember what happens but at some point the creature the Karloff creature, you know, says this isn't going to work. She's not, she doesn't like me. We should both be dead. And he decides to blow everybody up. And he's going to pull a lever, you know, to the blow up lever. That he, he sees the blow the lab up lever, and he decides to pull it. <laughs> and we are dead. We should be dead. And he pulls the lever. Well, first he says, you go, you and Elizabeth go. Because Elizabeth, I'm sorry, I, I totally forgot about this. Elizabeth comes crashing into the this this yeah. drama that's unfolding, right? Yeah, and, because she yeah, because she escapes from the other henchmen. Exactly. And it seems to me, and I and I'm sorry I'm rushing through the end here, but Elizabeth rushes to Henry and they clutch and they're engaged with one another. And it seems to me that that the creature sees that that's how it should be. Yeah. And since it's not that way, there's something wrong with him there's something wrong with the bride and there's certainly something wrong with this asshole Pretorius. Right. And so he says, go. You live. You live, exactly. We're dead and we should be dead. Cut to the destroy the lab lever. He pulls it. <laughs> And Pretorius, the bride, and and uh, the monster get blown up in another fiery end to another lab in these films. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, what do you want to say? What, what have I missed? I feel like I, there's, there might be something I've missed. You, you did not miss anything. And, and actually, I think you were quite right to point out that the ending of the film is actually the same as the ending of the last film. Yeah. Now, I don't I don't really mean that as a fully as a criticism because yeah. the dynamic in this final in this scene is different than the dynamic in the previous film not the least because the creature in this moment makes a decision not not a heroic decision because you know i i would kind of continue what we said in the first uh podcast that henry doesn't necessarily deserve this kind of mercy no, no. so it's not that the creature is making a decision that 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 he should make maybe maybe elizabeth deserved to live but the creature is simply you know i guess to my eyes kind of taking control yeah. I don't want to be around anymore. This guy doesn't deserve to be around anymore. Maybe you don't, but you go ahead. Yeah. I, 
you know, I, I'm the creature is it might be the the only moment. I mean, maybe you could even see it as a moment of forgiveness with yeah. Frankenstein that, that, you know, you just go ahead. I'm going to I'm going to erase this for you. I mean, I mean, the creature. And I guess that that's a little bit easier to swallow, mm-hmm. because in this case, Frankenstein actually got kind of like a, a, a buy in from the creature that he created and then abandoned. Yes, yes. I don't think that that there's no redemption for Henry Frankenstein by a long shot. Yeah. But at least in the, in this moment, the creature was able to control the situation and make a choice. Well, I think indeed that's right. And I think in this one, in this film at least, Henry isn't as culpable for what's happened as he was in the last film. Yeah, he was blackmailed in this case. Exactly. He didn't want to do it. He tried. The bride didn't want to be with, with Frank and the, the creature. She did seem to gravitate towards Henry. And I don't know. I, I think that that was intentional. She kept going to him. She kept trying to be the be around him. He was the one who she wanted to protect him. Yeah. Her. I, I think. I mean, I, I think that was sort of intentional. In the end, it didn't work out for anybody. But uh, but but I, I think you're right. The creature was was making some he was achieving some level of autonomy that we should maybe maybe that's a good thing. I think you're right. I, I mean, to an extent. Yeah. I mean, I, I like the ending of the film. I, I don't have a complaint about it. That brings us to our verdicts, though, doesn't it? I mean, that's the end of the film. I mean, this is a short film, guys. This is another short film. Is there? This has a score. Do you want to talk about that? Uh, uh, actually, I do want to talk about that. Okay. I, I, a little bit earlier, I, I I went through a grocery list of problems I have with this movie that apparently a lot of people don't have, but but I kind of do. And, and maybe I haven't lingered enough on the things that I think are truly masterful. There's a lot of great things about this movie. However, I do want to talk about the score. The first Frankenstein film did not have a score. This film made in 1935, you know, we're now seven, eight years into the sound era and more films are starting to have real, real music scores. It's very interesting. Listen, longtime listeners of the podcast will know that uh, in preparation for a lot of these podcasts, I will grill food on the grill while listening to the uh, to the score. And I, I actually had a, a, a real revelation uh, this weekend about the score. When I first watched it, not when I first watched it uh, many, many years ago, but when I first, when I watched it, you know, three, four days ago, my initial reaction to the score was, eh, okay, well, there's a score. I, I it, it didn't stick out to me. I mean, maybe I wasn't spending a lot of time trying to listen to it, but it didn't really stick out to me. But then I listened to it apart from the film. And I have to tell you, this is one of the best scores of that era. Oh, wow. Franz Waxman did the score, and this is one of his first scores. Franz Waxman was actually a, a um, he would become one of the, the big names in, in film composition. And uh, in listening to it just today, I was blown away by it in that, and this is one of the things about early film score. Uh, in the early days of uh, sound films, when we would have film scores, you would have people create music for a film that was just kind of incidental music, just music yeah. to kind of heighten action or comedy or whatever it was. And it was often disposable stuff. Not bad. Like, you know, it, it was music that would move with the film yeah. and, and it would do its job and that was fine. This is a genuinely amazing score, like something that you would have expected Richard Wagner to do in the 19th century, uh, you know, in the previous century, because this is a wide and varied score with light motifs for all the different characters. It's kind of a kind of a tragic love theme, you know, surrounding the creature and the bride. There's kind of this bizarre, almost, I mean, they didn't have synthesizer back then, but it's, you go, woo-woo! 
kind of uh, 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 sound when when Doctor Pretorius is around. There's the main theme of the film that I think I think has been borrowed from for all kinds of things. Something that comes to mind would be the Incredible Hulk television show. Yeah, yeah. Like it, 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 the score is really really well done. The little music cues. I think there's a moment in the film. I think it's early in the film when someone's kind of. I think it's when Maria's father falls into the um, into the mill right before the creature kills him and there's kind of a harp kind of uh, cue Mm -hmm. there's just there's a lot of different instrumentation there's a lot of wind instruments harp uh, uh, chimes like there's all kinds of things that Waxman used for this and I did not notice it when I watched the movie and that made me reflect that okay uh, because I I kind of had this theory that sometimes music can 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 uh, and 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 the content of the film enhance each other that our experience of both of those things actually kind of kind of meld together to create for us the experience of one specific moment in a film. I Now I kind of have this theory that there are enough jarring moments in this movie. The, the comic relief, the the um, the little miniature creatures that Dr. Pretorius created, the cast changes, Colin Clive kind of playing his character on this, in my opinion, on the same note that he did in the previous film, that I just didn't, when I watched it, I didn't notice how good the score was. But the score is off the charts. Okay. It's really, really great. I would encourage you to listen to it and and all listeners listening, go to YouTube. Mm -hmm. You don't have to pay any money for it. Franz Waxman, Bride of Frankenstein score, and just marvel at it. It's really, it's really a work of art. Well, I liked it in the film. I I thought one of the things I I was struck by as I was watching the film, Bride of Frankenstein, was how far film had come in a very short amount of time. And and just production values, editing, and and we both said that, that, that Frankenstein was well edited. Yes. You know? But Whale has has learned lessons in between now, between 31 and 35 that demonstrate a very dab hand at editing. He, he's even improved that aspect of the film. Yes, but, yes. But but he, the lighting, the set yes. designs, which we already liked a lot from, from the first film, have improved. Everything has improved. Well, everything in terms of art design, costumes, lighting, every everything about film production has improved. Yes. Right? Sound design. I mean everything, but the, and I'm I'm bleeding into the verdict a little bit. But the writing hasn't improved in this yeah. film, and so I guess it's it's. Are we ready for the verdict? Yeah, we're ready. All right, I will go uh, like last time. Jason selected these films uh, from the archives of American cinema. I think it's American. Anyway, it's Universal, yeah. and so I'll lead uh, with the verdict. For me, I don't see this as the masterpiece that everybody else sees it as. I think it's worthy of watching, but I don't think it surpasses is the first one in terms of story uh, or performances because there's some uneven performances in the film but in terms of art design the film and film production the film kind of blew me away there were moments where I was just kind of marveling at the images and wishing that they were hung together by a better script the scene where they bring the bride to life it's full of really just bracing engaging emotionally 
taught images, but the drama to sustain them just wasn't there. So all I felt like I was looking at was a was a neat picture book for, through a lot of the film. I love the design. I love the new look of Frankenstein. I love the look of the bride. But for a film that is heralded uh, as a great film, I wanted more of everything that was new, almost everything that was new. I wanted more of the bride. I wanted more of, uh, of a growing Frankenstein. But I felt like it was this, I felt like it was a promise that was failed. I, I feel like the film was a promise that failed. I, I have to say to all listeners that uh, Max and I do not um, really compare notes uh, before doing these rewatches. And I am highly gratified that you came to a similar conclusion that, that actually I came two years ago. Uh, I, I, I kind of already kind of showed my hand a little bit when I said that when I first saw this movie, I recognized a lot of the great elements that we've talked about, but I was expecting it because I, I liked Frankenstein. Like, you know, when I first saw it, I thought it was a little dated, but, but I thought it was really good. And I thought, Oh, the bride of Frankenstein is going to, is going to blow me away. Yeah. And it didn't happen then and it doesn't happen now there are there are individual scenes that do blow me away i agree with everything that max just said about uh the production design i already bragged about the score uh boris karloff uh i think his performance as the creature is better which is saying a lot because he was brilliant in the first film but and and there are individual scenes that are written well uh very well and are executed very well. Uh, scenes that are shot very well. Scenes that, that 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 do kind of nail the kind of heightened emotion that you're looking for. I think what I would say is Bride of Frankenstein a great film. I'm not sure. Some people think it is. If if I was to say that it is, I would at least say that it's overrated. It is not the masterpiece that people say that it is. Going back to episode one of Max and Jason Watch a Movie when we we rated Batman. There's a scene where the Joker and his entourage go into a an art gallery and they deface all of the art and for me there are some elements in this movie that are that deface it, that 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 prevent it from being what it could have been. There are some there are some individual scenes in this movie that are masterful and that are absolutely movie magic. But there there are elements to this movie that are just dumb, and it needs to be said. And because when every time I watch this movie, I want to love it. I want to love it. I want to love it as much as other people do. Uh, I want to be emotionally moved by it. I understand why uh, fans are moved by it. I mean thematically i i see all of the the rich characterization of the creature and his quest for friendship and um you know the, the rejection of society and all of that but there are there are just individual elements in this movie that are just nails on a chalkboard to me and they they take what could have been a really really great film and just lower it a notch i would recommend this film to anybody who likes films like this who likes film this film is definitely worth watching um so I'm not saying that it's um, that I wouldn't recommend it. Um, I would recommend it with a certain amount of, of of enthusiasm. But it is not better than the 1931 film that it followed. And that's the verdict, guys. Before we get on to the share us everywhere, I'm I'll put everybody up. Jason went there, and I I didn't go there, but I wanted to. Tim Burton. I think Tim Burton must have watched this movie over and over and over as a child, and for better or for worse. Um, yeah. 
if you listen to the show, I would be curious to know what you guys think of that. So watch Bride of Frankenstein and uh, let me know if you think that, that Tim Burton has been overly addled by this movie. Yeah. Do you see that, do you think? I, I do. Um, I do. All right. Everybody, share us with all your friends. Share us on the social medias, the Facebooks, the Twitters, the Instagrams even. Wherever it is that you do this sort of things. Probably not Pornhub, but what do I know? All right, guys. Uh, email us at uh, lordmovies39 uh, gmail uh, at gmail.com. Comment at Podbean if you're a subscriber through Podbean. And uh, what are we covering next week, Jason? Uh, uh, next week, we will be completing our trilogy with The Son of Frankenstein. Starring Boris Karloff and others. Yeah. All right, guys. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.